real estate investing for you. This is Pod Success. Pod Success. With Joe Arias speaking to investors about the pitfalls and successes of remodels. These are top real estate investors. These are experts in the business. And this is Pod Success. Pod Success. Here is Joe Arias. Thank you so much, Brian, for the intro. And we're here with Bradley Brad Gers from Hunter Homes. Brad is someone I truly admire, a great guy, the father of one kid, married to his wife for 12 years. Brad has done, you know, over 50 ground up constructions in the top neighborhoods in Los Angeles. He's done a lot of flips as well. He's been in the business for 14 years. You know, he's a great seller. He's shy of a one third of a billion dollars in real estate in sales with his projects. You know, just a true artist. So without further ado, I bring you all the way from downtown Burbank to Brad Gerst. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure. So Brad, let's just like jump right in. I have a million questions for you inside of like the business and whatnot. I totally admire you. And I think you know that We've, we have conversations about that. I love your work. Uh, you're such a detail oriented and, and, you know, we're going to go through all these questions, but I, I kind of want to start with you as a, not as much as a business person, but like as a human being, if you don't mind sharing with, with, with us, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you like middle class, upper class, what was your mom and your dad occupation? You know, share a little bit about you. So much like yourself, I wasn't born here. I, I sound like I was, but I wasn't. I was uh, born in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, and I moved here at the age of 11, which was right about at the time of uh, the turn of apartheid. So the country was in a big state of upheaval and unrest, and we bailed. We left. The government, to prevent people from leaving, froze everybody's bank account. So you were never allowed to take more than $5,000 out of the country at, at any given time. So we basically moved a family of five, moved here to the States with 5,000 bucks. Wow. So to say I, I come from modest beginnings, I think 5,000 is, is very uh, modest as far as that goes. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. $5,000. So your dad, your dad was like, he felt in, a, in, a, in this position and he had to move the entire family yep. to America. Yes. Wow. And how did your dad ended up having the opportunity to come to America? It's not as easy as people think to be part of this country. When he arrived, did he know anybody? I mean, how was that process for you? You know, we had some family that lived in Van Nuys, California, which is why we picked to move to Los Angeles. But other than some cousins, very, very few connections and um, really literally starting from scratch. Wow. Yeah. And did your dad, how did your dad, like he moved here? Was, did he start working maybe with some family members or how was the process for, for him on that? My dad got a job and I don't know the specifics of how or, or how it worked, but he worked for a uh, garment manufacturer mm. uh, in downtown LA. Uh, which was a similar trade that he did in South Africa. And, you know, that's what he did for a living. Tell me about your dad and your mom. What were their names? And, uh, my, you know, my father is uh, David and my mother, Gail, two incredibly dedicated, hardworking people. My father was always, always, always working. And my mother was always working as well, no matter what it was. You know, she would do. Whatever job came her way is uh, a job that she would do. So she did everything from being a secretary to sweeping hair at a hair salon. 
Incredible. What, what I'm hearing, the way and the tone of voice is that there were really good people and good influences for you. Phenomenal. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I, I think that we are today, you know, a project of, of who our upbringings are uh, where and, and, you know, the foundation of family is key. Sometimes we get values and sometimes we get anti-values that we learn not to do about our parents and upbringings. Tell me something that you learn about your dad and something you learn about your mom. You, you mentioned already like the dedication, hard work. Something that I learned about my parents. That you can apply today as an investor. Yeah, that, that I can apply today as an investor. I think that sometimes to really do something great, you have to jump into it. Wow. You have to just move forward. Even though everything is telling you this can't be done, you have three small children, you're moving to a new country, you don't have any money, you don't have a job. Logic would say, stay where you are. But sometimes that chance is what makes somebody's life. And against all odds, against all intelligent logic, my father moved here. And because of his move and his sacrifice and his determination, I am here today speaking with you. Absolutely. And um, are your parents alive? Are they gone? Where? My, my father is still alive. My mother passed away uh, several years ago. Got it. Um, still very close. Still a very close family. Excellent. Okay, good. Thanks for sharing that. All right, great. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about real estate. How long you've been in business? I know I mentioned a little bit uh, uh, that you were in business or you've been doing real estate for 14 years. What were you doing before, you know, and how did you end up doing real estate? I started off in, um, I went to UCLA. I graduated uh, from UCLA and then went to go work for Credit Suisse in investment banking, doing mergers and acquisitions, which was at the time a really, really tough, demanding job. Uh, we worked every day from 8.30 in the morning till 3 in the morning, six days a week, and then half a day on Sunday. And I hated it. I, I just, it, it wasn't me. I'm not somebody who can sit at a desk. I need to move around and look and feel and touch and do different things. But, you know, I stuck the job out for a while and it got to the point where I remember driving down Wilshire Boulevard to the office building in Century City. And I went underneath the Sepulveda overpass and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I, I need to do something different. So I went into the office, I, I tendered my resignation and had to go and figure out what else I was gonna do. Mm, so you just, it's not that you were looking for a transition. You just said, I, I can't keep on moving here in this direction. You gave your resignation and then you like figure out what else was there for you. Yeah. And how did you like, what was the next step? Next step, I um, started off in hard money lending. So I, I worked for a hard money lender and that job really gave me the biggest introduction to real estate. So, you know, your typical lender is somebody who sits at a desk and you'll make a phone call and they'll set the deal up and you get your money and you move on. So I went above and beyond what a typical real estate lender would do. I, I met every single one of my clients face to face. I walked the projects with them. And at the time, most of my business was doing uh, rehabs, lending money to rehabs in the uh, Watts, East LA and Compton area. Regardless, they were profitable projects and I had an incredible education on the ins and outs of purchasing, rehabbing, selling, renting, really, 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 you know, a grassroots education in it. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, osmosis. Sometimes we do learn by osmosis, by other people, failures and also successes. So I, you know, I'm sure you are able as a, working as a lender. I mean, people are making mistakes right in front of you and you're learning, collecting data. So I think the best 
aspect of that is the exposure because you're not looking at one person. You're not looking at five people. You're looking at 25, 30 people. You're looking at, you know, in any given year, 65, 70 projects. You get to see the project when they bring it to you as an acquisition. You get to see the project broken down. This is the amount of work we need to do. This is the amount of money we need. You get to visit the project as they're doing the work. And then you get to ultimately see the project sell and um, not have to foreclose and, you know, get your money back and move on to the next one. Wow. Yeah. It's all about the story. I feel like a lot of us learn by by watching the story, right? The beginning, the middle, the end, how much money you make, how much money, you know, um, you could have profited. Talking about education, do you have any mentors, any specific person directly or indirectly that made a big difference? Education. I know you mentioned a little bit about this hard money loan company, but any specific mentors? No. You know, I, I got to work with a lot of good people. Uh, Brett Mosher from MKT Development. I, I was very close with him and really got to witness his operation. But I think for me, I, I was not fortunate to, to really have somebody take me under their wing and teach me the business. Everything that I learned going forward was really a, a trial and error experience. Well, okay, got it. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about your first deal. What was it? What issues did you have? You know, how did you find the deal? What were the profits or the losses? Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? The first deal I did was 1304 East 109th Street, which was a single family, like in the heart of like West uh, East LA. Very, very difficult neighborhood. Did not know what I was getting into. I don't remember the numbers on the deal, but I definitely bought it because I thought it was cheap and learned that price is not necessarily the ultimate motivating factor when looking at a property. It was one of these scenarios where we would do work on the property, come back the next morning, and 85% of the work that we did was gone. Wow. So there was a lot of vandalism. Eventually, I made good friends with the neighbor who became my tenant, who ultimately became the person who bought the property. Once we had somebody full-time on site, we did a very, very minor remodel, which to me was like earth moving at the time. Kitchens, new floors, new bathrooms, plumbing was okay. We redid electrical as we needed it. If I spent $30,000, I would be surprised. And eventually I sold the project and I probably made $20,000 on that project. Great first project. Yeah, it was, it was a nightmare, but Again, I made money, so I can't complain. That's great. And you learn, right? I, the first, I learned, The yes. first deal. Uh, how long did that take? And was that a flip or was it ground up construction? No, that was a flip. That was a flip. That was a, that was a flip. And that probably took seven months. Seven months. And how did you find the money? I, I, that's something that a lot of our students want to know. How, how do we get this money on the first deal? So the money on the first deal really took advantage of, of leverage. I, I had a background in hard money lending, so I knew the parameters. I knew what the lenders were looking for when I got into the deal. So I made sure that the numbers for my project would make sense to a lender to be able to lend me the money to do the project. I had saved enough money for the down payment. I definitely did not have money to make the monthly interest payments, and I definitely did not have the money to do the work on the property. I found a lender who gave me a loan that lent me enough money to purchase. Private money lender. Yeah, exactly. Private money lent me enough money to purchase to do the work on the property and uh, wrapped up the interest payments. So, you know, it was a great experience. I got to borrow the money that I was lending to people. So I, I felt the pain of hard money, but I also got to experience the benefit of it, of being able to get into a project with very little of my own money. Wow. And then, so you started on, on this flip and then what was the next project? How did that, you know, in your brain, like you're, you just finished your one, you, you make $20,000, what is next? So 
after that project, I, I'm like, forget this. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Wow. It was, it was way too much work. It was way too difficult. And it was really scary. So I went back to lending and I continued in lending for probably another two or three years and then decided that I wanted to do new construction. I wanted to take the unknowns, at least this was my naive thinking, I wanted to take the unknowns out of a project. I wanted to do a project that had a set time schedule, had a um, set budget, and had a, a contractor who would bid the project, and we wouldn't have any surprises. So all the problems that I had before on the uh, first rehab that I did, I thought I could eliminate that by going with new construction. I also was determined for my next project that I didn't want it to be more than a mile away from where I lived. Mm, that was a rule that you you set up at that time. Yeah. I really wanted to have something that I could go to that wouldn't take up most of my day just driving there, mm. number one. And number two, if I need to visit it eight times a day, then I could visit it eight times a day. If I had to be there to open up in the morning, I could be there. If I had to be there to lock up at night, I could be there. So the next project was really seven days a week, however many hours a day I tried to be on site. If somebody was working, I was there. I saw everything. I touched everything. And the second project was more successful than the first project, more difficult than the first project. More time. Far more time consuming. But the relationships that I made and the the people that I had around me at that point really bolstered my success on that project. So I, I managed to find a contractor who was confident, caring, understanding, and really straightforward and honest. So it was a, a great combination. It's not an easy thing, find a contractor like that. No, I, I think that's, you know, my bit of luck that I had. So now, now from, from that project to now, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, flips and ground up constructions. And if you can like, if you kind of like analyze that contractor with all the news people you met, are you like, did you have a really good experience with that contractor and that first ground up versus some other people you've met in the process or you stick to the same person for all these years? Well, I would say 85% of the people that I work with today, sub trades that I work with today are the same sub trades that I started off with 12, wow. 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And, you know, guys, please, if, if you if you don't know Brad's work, please go and check it out. We're going to give some of your Instagram later. But, you know, Brad is such a talented, detail-oriented, artistic. He creates art on his houses. When you go to his houses, you have the experience of going to a really nice museum or, you know, he's always trying to figure it out. How can we, how can I make this square different? And I know that squares have these angles or how can I make this circle different? He's always trying to recreate himself. For me, a true genius. And Brad, so why don't you give us a slice of your life now, like today, you, how many uh, projects do you have? What are you dealing with? You know, what are the successes? What, what are the breakdowns? So right now I have... 11 new construction projects at various stages. Some are finishing up, some are getting ready to start. We've learned to break down what we do into a process. So we, we have the acquisition stage, we have the design stage, we move into the construction stage, all the while we're doing marketing. But really, I, I enjoy seeing something rise out from nothing. You know, uh, with ground up, we, we buy something, we tear it down. And we're left with a vacant lot. And from that vacant lot, we build a home. I have the, the honor of getting to visit the families that live in these houses. And it's truly, 
it, it's a very rewarding experience. The, I, I believe the experience of building in and of itself is rewarding because it's something that has a tangible beginning, a tangible middle, and a tangible end. And when you're done with it, you can walk through it. You can touch the doors. You can lean up against the wall. You can stand outside and look at the front facade. There is something really satisfying in the experience of building. Wow. And now we're going to go to the next segment, the 10 questions. And now the top 10 questions. The top 10 questions. With Joe Arias. Question number one, texting or talking and why? Talking. I think that communication is meant to be done verbally. And I even prefer to talk in person. I think personal contact is really important. And I think in today's methods of communication, a lot of uh, intonation and feeling is lost in texting. Fix and flip or buy and hold and why? I think both. I think that in order to be successful, you need to have a portfolio that you're making money fixing and flipping. And for long-term sustainability, buy and hold as well. Favorite moment in your childhood that helped you to become who you are today? I would say moving to this country, getting off the airplane at, at LAX, thinking that I was coming to Disneyland because all foreigners think California is Disneyland. But yeah, I think that was the, the greatest moment of my life. Do you remember the show? I'm 37, turning 38. And I remember when I was in Argentina watching the show Fiebel. Fiebel goes to America. It was this little rat. Little mouse. Little mouse. Fiebel the mouse. Fiebel yes. the mouse. Did you, did you like, this is besides the point, but did you have something like that in, in South Africa? Well, I, I saw that movie. I you think, saw it. I okay. think I was here when that movie came out. Got it. But just totally, I, you know, for the rest of the world, it, it, this place is really like a dream. Disneyland. You know, it's, it's you the place, yeah. yeah, it's the country that's like shown in all the movies. So I love it. Okay, next one. Fill in the blanks. Real success is what? Happiness. What's more important, being on time or getting it right? Being on time. Therapy or a good talk with your best friend? A good talk with your best friend any day. Why? To be able to share openly with somebody who, well, first of all, what's a best friend? Somebody who has your best interests at, at heart. And I just, to be able to sit down with a good buddy, have a beer, talk about whatever you need to talk about, you walk away feeling great. Ground up construction homes or apartments? Both. Why? I think to generate uh, capital and um, upfront revenue, new construction, building and selling is, is a fantastic method. To build truly long-term wealth, you have to move into the rental market. My mother is blank. My hero. If you could ask God one question, what would that be? Why? I'm not going to ask you why. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if your kid could learn one thing about you, if you wanted your kid to learn one thing about you, maybe talk to his kids, grandpa was this, what would be that thing that you want to you wanna be remembered for? I would want to be remembered for truly loving and caring for him. And I, I, and I know that you've been one of the first promoters of, uh, you know, the style, correct me if I'm wrong, I call it the farmhouse style. What is the, the, the term of the type of houses that you usually do? And, and that's a question to you too. Do you usually keep the same motive on houses or you go Victorian, or you, you switch it up depending on the neighborhood? We, we really look to see what the market is buying and we try to cater, uh, we try to cater to the market. So you can go modern. We can go anything from, you know, modern to, you know, all the way through to like Cape Cod traditional. The point is really trying to pay attention to what the market is, what the buyers want. So often you can get wrapped up in what you like and your own personal taste and what you think will look good. Sometimes that leads you to spend 
you know, way more money than you should. Sometimes that leads you to create something that is personal to you, but yet doesn't have the broad-based appeal. So there really is a balance of how much of what you like you put into a project versus how much you think the consumer is going to want and what Mm. the consumer, because ultimately we're building these houses uh, with no illusion. You're building the house to make uh, an end buyer really, really happy with your house. You know, the end buyer is exposed to a lot of houses when they go out and look. Uh, In addition to that, with Pinterest and House and and all the other websites and TV shows about building, they're educated. They know what they're looking for. So you really want to try to tap into that, something that is going to have a broad-based market appeal, but yet feel personal and warm. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I, I've been in your houses. Um, that's why you're here. You know, as I said, a very devoted of your work. You know, we're in Los Angeles. What are your numbers? How much you buy a house for? What neighborhoods do you like to, to invest? How much you put in? How much you sell? And I know the market can go up and down, but, you know, usually, you know, in the top of your head, what, what is the average? Average purchase prices? It depends. If we're looking at areas like Sherman Oaks and Studio City, you're going to pay a million to a million two for a 6,700 square foot lot. If you're talking about Pacific Palisades, you're going to pay closer to three, 3.1 million for that lot. Uh, the cost to build are, are generally the same. Um, and then sales costs are usually based, uh, sales prices are usually based on the neighborhood. Palisades is $1,000 a foot or so. Studio City is what, 685 to about 750. So your the profitability is pretty similar across the board. Um, it's just about availability of product. Got it. And what are the averages of like the sales price? Are you in the 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, depends on the neighborhood. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how much a house in Studio City, after you buy it, you remodel it, how much you put it in the market for? So the average Studio City house, we're going to buy it for a million two, and that same house is going to end up back on the market for 2.8 to 3 million. If we're going to be in Valley Village and we're doing a single story house in Valley Village, you're going to pay 900 and that house is probably going to go on the market for about 2.4, 2.5. Got it. And in the Palisades, you're looking at upwards of, you know, $5 million or so. What's like in, in the Palisades? What's the house that you sold, you know, the, the highest price? Um, we've sold eight and a half, nine million dollar homes in the Palisades. And how big was that one? 7,300 square feet. Wow. Which... To us, sounds like impressive. The area is pulling numbers upwards of 15, you know, to 20, 25 million dollars. So there are houses being built and marketed, you know, upwards of 15, 16, 17 million dollars. Okay, that's great. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, let's bring it down to, to our students, you know, for the most part, new investors. Would you mind sharing from your experience the do and the don'ts? If you can like, you know, just share some of your experiences throughout the years to our, you know, students, uh, brand new investors. I think the most important is to stick with neighborhoods and areas that you know. You know, if, if you have the luxury of being able to buy close to home or buy near home, I think that has a tremendous benefit from a number of standpoints. Uh, like, a, you know, it gives you the ability to go and look at your job whenever you want. But also it, it's a neighborhood that you know you know what the buyer profile is. You don't have to rely necessarily on outside agents or outside opinions because you're educated, probably more educated than anybody else on your immediate neighborhood. So I think that's 
essential to success, especially starting off. Location, your proximity. Yeah. Your proximity. You also talked about checklist. You talked about systems. You didn't use the word checklist, but you said you talked about throughout the years, you were able to create new systems for success. Tell us, is that something that, that, you know, as you grow, be a good advice for new investors to create systems? I think it's essential. Very, very, very important. You know, the example I like to give is we all as kids built Lego. Now, if I give you a box of Lego without any instructions, that Lego on the one hand could be anything. But if I give you a box of Lego with a set of instructions, you could build a Death Star. So, and that Death Star is built in step by step by step. You're taking 3,000 pieces and you're putting them all together in a certain sequence. And at the end of your project, you have a beautiful toy that you can play with which I would venture to guess without those instructions would be near impossible to Mm, do. Got it. And then the possibility of selling it to your friend and repeat, right? Exactly. Got you. Excellent. Any other advice? I'm trying to get as much value to our uh, listeners or students as possible. Proximity, systems, anything else that, that, you know, we can share with them from your wealth of wisdom and information. Yeah. The people that you work with are going to become your family. So make sure that you surround yourself with people that you can trust, people that you can rely on, and people that you like to be around. That goes for your real estate agent, that goes for your contractor, all the way through to the person who's doing the cleanup on your job site. Because these are all relationships that are going to benefit you. Yeah, they say, you know, that you're as good as your weakest link. So who is your your weakest link going to be? Exactly. Got it. Thank you. What advice would you give yourself now to the new investor of 12, 13 years ago, if you could you know, have a conversation, what would you tell yourself? I think stick with it. The, the best advice for all those nights that I stayed up doubting, is this going to work? Is this going to be successful? Should I continue? I would just say, be confident in yourself. Be confident in the systems that you set up. Make sure you learn something new every day, but stick with it. Stick with it. Got it. And I know you have great successes. You always have failures. Would you mind talking a little bit about what has been the biggest? And I like to talk about failures because I do believe as failure as the gateway to success. I feel like the access to to a, a breakthrough is through a breakdown. You have to have some kind of a problem to to actually go up and 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 grow as a human being. In fact, in my you know in my uh, remodels. You know, I learn much more on projects that didn't go that well as the projects that actually went excellent. Would you mind sharing about that? What was your biggest failures and your biggest successes? Even one. What's your biggest failure as as an investor? You know, if you count the time that you spend working on a project and then you calculate the money that you make on that project. So is it necessarily a failure if you don't make money? I mean, you know, not every project I work on or I've worked on is a hit it out the park home run. You know, we've labored on projects for two years, two and a half years, uh, only to see ourselves break even. And when I say break even, break even on a financial cost with no, no accounting for the time that you've put into the project. So on projects like that, which will happen, you have to walk away. What did you do wrong? What happened? What didn't you expect? In our particular, in this particular example, it was a hillside project and required a lot of caissons, a lot of earthwork, coupled with a very, very difficult detailed house, coupled with somebody who doesn't like to rush things, rather would do something right. Uh, You put those together and, you know, the project took longer, cost more, and ultimately sold for more, but not enough to generate the kind of profit that we would have been happy with. Got it. 
And you know, you mentioned you've been you've been in the business for 14 years, 2007, 2008. I mean, you were you were doing real estate. How would that impacted you? Very those years were were very very difficult and you know, brings me to the next point with with advice to somebody moving into this business. Be very conservative on your projections. Be very conservative on your projections. Always be able to take a market hit and not lose money. Not necessarily make money, but don't lose money. So when it comes time to do the to do the spreadsheet and to calculate the profitability of your project, you want to look at the best case scenario, which is what we all want to look at. But you really want to take a long, hard look at the worst case scenario. And that includes, you know, things taking longer, things costing more, seeing a shift in the market. And you really want to have a backup plan for that. Can I hold on to the house and rent the house if I can't sell the house? Is the rental going to be enough to cover the mortgage? So there are precautionary steps that you can take in the beginning that will guarantee that you'll come out of the project okay. Mm. Not necessarily make money, but not lose money. Got it. Not let your investors down. Not let the other people who are counting on you and counting on your word, not let those people down. Got it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah. Just collect your losses and, and move forward without having your, your, your team lose money. Talking about investors, what's your relationship with your investors? Did they start as investors and other friends? Were they family from the beginning? Um, I know you mentioned that you, your family didn't have much money when you guys came in. Where did you meet these investors? Were they from the hard money lender times? Where did I meet the investors? You know, fortunately, I managed to have enough money to start with down payments on my projects. So I was able to get by on, on my projects in the beginning utilizing hard money loans. So taking out very, very expensive loans, but not necessarily dealing with outside investors. So essentially, you know, my partners in crime were the hard money companies. Got it. Got it. So let's go back to that question about your successes. What would you say if you have one, maybe there's a few, but you know, what would you say your, your biggest win was in, in one of your projects and why? The, the biggest win in one of my projects and why if if we go by uh, financial dollars the the biggest win in one of our projects would be the highest profit we've made on a project uh, and that would be one of the the houses we built on Albright in the Pacific Palisades generated a, a tremendous profit the project itself was challenging uh, we really stuck to a conservative house uh, the house came out beautiful and we got lucky in that the market was really looking for a house like that. And we had multiple buyers and it was, it was amazing. It really was just incredible. But I consider every project, and this is not fluff, I consider every project that we do that we finish successfully and that somebody moves into to be a huge success. You know, it's, you're, you're creating homes for families and it's not just talk. I mean, these are real people who are living in your houses, raising their families. And it's just awesome to be able to do that. Thank you for that. Next question is, you know, I keep on thinking, I'm reading a book right now about money and the relationship that people have uh, with money. You know, there's a lot of people that had a lot of money and they have a certain relationship, which might be a positive or negative. And there's people with no money. They have a very happy relationship with money. What would you say money means to you? What is money? Exactly. What, what is money? What does money mean to you? What, to me? I'm asking you. Yeah. What does money mean to you? Um, money really means something different to everybody. So exactly. what does it mean to you? So to me, the, there's, uh, there's the what so, which, what money is, which is paper. And, and then is the, the mentality, that relationship you have with money. For myself, it would be freedom. Money gives me peace of mind. 
So I, I would agree with that. I, I think that what money brings you, uh, as long as you're in control of your money and it's it's not controlling you, money will bring you freedom and it will bring you peace of mind. It'll give you the ability to do, hopefully, those things that you want to do, to take care of your family, to go on vacation, to buy that car you want, to sleep well at night. So if done correctly, you know, money can really, really, really improve your life. As, as long as you're satisfied with what you have, and you're living within what you have, money provides a tremendous sense of freedom. Excellent. So is there anything else I didn't ask you or anything else you want to add? Maybe I missed something. No, I think you're, you were thorough. Um, I think what you're trying to do is, is pretty awesome. Giving people opportunity to, to gain freedom. That's an incredible thing. So I thank you for this. You're welcome. Thank you, Brad, so much for being here. We're honored to have you. And it's truly a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much again, Brad. I want to give you guys the handles for Instagram. If you want to follow him, see his beautiful homes, it's Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, Gerst, G-E-R-S-Z-T. Bradley Gerst, thanks again, and everyone have a great day. 